to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. I am Ben Standing. I cover the Washington football team for The Athletic. And on this episode of the podcast, I'm going to bring you a fun conversation with none other than Greg Cosell from NFL Films. Uh, we talked a ton about the NFL draft, got into prospects for Washington, for the Washington football team at 19, linebacker, offensive tackle, uh, we got into some day two quarterbacks. We also talked about the quarterbacks at the top of the draft, Mac Jones, Trey Lance, Devontae Smith, uh, some others as well. So a really fun, detailed conversation with one of the best in the business about football, talking specifically the draft. So in addition to that, I spoke the other day with Jason Fitzgerald from OverTheCap.com because I was curious about what he thought about Washington's offseason from the perspective of a cap guy. Did anything interest him with some of the contracts that were signed? I think the Curtis Samuel one is interesting. So discuss that with Jason. And in a second here, I'll discuss Ron Rivera's press conference. That happened today as well. as So I'm going to share the thoughts I have on that with you here on the Standard Group Only podcast. Quick reminder, you can subscribe to the podcast that apparently features my cat Lenny, since you can probably hear him uh, howling here behind me. I'm going to have to start closing the door when I do these things. In any event, <laughs> uh, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify. If you're an iTunes person, definitely, as always, appreciate you guys. We have a moment to drop a rating or, or write a review. These things help a ton when it comes to uh, getting uh, recognized on the various metrics out there. So I really appreciate it. Uh, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Ben Standing. And if you haven't yet, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, we still have the deal for, uh, for $1 right now, I believe. Don't quote me on this, but I believe it is going to end, though, I think early next week, maybe Monday. So you can check that. So you can, uh, if you subscribe now that'd be great. This week, I had a I had a Washington football team only mock draft. I I made some predictions, but also got into some other news. In addition, I will just tease this and say that the plan is for Monday that I'm going to have a first round, so not a first round mock draft for the national page on the Athletic. So not just one round, not not just Washington football team, but a, a, an overall first round. I know some people have been asking me when my mock drafts were going to go out because they know I like to do this and have had some success in the past. So you can check that out uh, as well. So if you want to subscribe to The Athletic and you want to wait, that's a good one. Do it on Monday. It should be up as well. So all that going on here on the podcast which I should mention, this episode of the Standing Room Only Podcast is brought to you by All Pro Reels. All Pro Reels is a credentialed digital media company covering all major professional sports teams in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm talking to you guys on Thursday. In theory, this was supposed to be opening day for the Nats. Alas, they had a COVID issue, so that didn't happen. But I know my guys at All Pro Reels, Joe Glorioso, uh, will be out there. If not for if he wasn't sure if he if he wasn't going to be out there opening game uh, opening day he'd be out there for many others uh, as well as other uh, games around town once we're able to you know get back to some normalcy in any event uh, with a database of over twenty five thousand images whether you're looking for in game content or content with your favorite player APR has you covered um, so let's get into before we get to Greg Cosell and to Jason Fitzgerald let's get into 
some of what Ron Rivera had to say today. I wouldn't say this was a particularly newsy uh, conference uh, over Zoom, but it was his first words since free agency started. We obviously asked a bunch of questions about quarterbacks. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick was signed, and I'm just going to go through a couple things. I think we already knew this, at least I've said, stated this on the podcast, that Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to go into camp as the starter. There will be Rivera confirmed that there will be a competition. My personal view is I'm going to view it at sort of like a boxing champion. He's the one you have to beat. You're going to have to knock him out to take him out. And considering that Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke are not viewed, you know, they don't have anywhere close to the resume that Fitzpatrick, you know, I think it's fair to say that Fitzpatrick will be the guy. But, you know, look, if, if Allen and, and Heineke make strides, then Rivera is opening that up to, to that. And to the idea of the competition, I'll just read you this quote from Rivera. Quote, um, on, this is about the importance of, of having a competition. Quote, I think for the most part, competition does create the opportunity to have guys go out there and really try to put it all on the line. As I said last year, one of the mistakes I made, obviously, was I didn't have a true competition. I felt going in, the idea was to give Dwayne, meaning Dwayne Haskins, of course, as many reps as possible to get him ready to play. This time, I know who we have as the starter, but he's going to go in and he's going to compete with everybody else. So he says, I know who we have as the starter, but he's going to compete with everybody else. So I think pretty much we have the answer as to as to the, the situation. But he was also asked about, are they going to add another quarterback? You guys have heard me discuss this, and I got into it a bit with Greg Cosell of, you have three quarterbacks in Fitzpatrick and in, in Allen and Heineke, who all started games last year. Uh, obviously, Allen and, and Heineke, you know, neither one of them cost too much at all, Allen would be no dead money if they were to release him. Heineke, I think it's a million five is all that he's on the books for this year. Uh, so they could they could move on from them easily. But we know how much Rivera likes Allen, and they jumped back to get Heineke pretty quickly into free agency. So, or even before free agency started, I should say. So it's not like I don't personally think they're they're feeling any desperation to go get a quarterback. And I'm sort of of the opinion, as I've stated before that unless there's just a player who just falls to them at a position in the draft and they just think we have to take this guy, I don't think I see them taking one, which is not the same thing as saying I don't, that they won't take one. I've already, if I, I believe I've said this before on the podcast, but I did write about it on The Athletic. I was told they have interest in Davis Mills, uh, the Stanford quarterback. I asked Greg Cosell about him, so hang on for that. So it's conceivable, but I don't necessarily would say it's likely unless just a value play is there. Take that for what it's worth. Rivera essentially said this, said, said as much today, saying, quote, I can't tell you how things are going to unfold. Uh, we're going to react what's going uh, to happen in front of us. Picking where we're picking, there are a lot of things that can happen. We have targets. We have ideas. We have guys that we like. But, that's always, but that always changes just because of the fact that everybody has a choice. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, you know, not too much clarity on the situation, but that's, you know, you've got my view uh, on that. Uh, with regards to Fitzpatrick, you know, Rivera stated some of the obvious reasons why you'd want a veteran player. He's obviously done a lot. He said that he was somebody that they were eyeing early on in this process, even at the point when they were going after uh, Matthew Stafford, which obviously uh, that did not that did not happen. But uh, you know, look, he obviously likes Fitzpatrick uh, for all the for all the obvious reasons. He is the guy to beat at this point. Um, I asked Ron Rivera specifically to give us an update on Brandon Scherf. 
Well, again, we have not spoken to Rivera since free agency started. Uh, it's been now a few weeks since the franchise tag. Didn't get much of an answer, but I'll just read it to you quickly. Quote, well, that situation hasn't changed. We've got Brandon signed right now, and we'll see how things go as we go forward. We are most certainly interested, meaning in a long-term deal. But again, we'll have to wait and see what happens. We haven't talked since he signed. I think that last part is important because the, one of the reasons I said from the from the start, even before they put the tag on him, if you give Ryan Fitz, uh, sorry, if you give Brandon Scherf the tag with the way the money works, he's going to get $18 million at least this year. With the way that money works relative to the guard position as a whole, it's just not a lot of incentive for his side to negotiate down a deal. You're going to want to use that $18 million as a starting point for any kind of multi-year um, conversation, and it doesn't make any real sense for that position. So that's where things stand. We'll see what Washington does on there. But I also asked specifically about a player who I think is important when we're trying to figure out what Washington is going to do in the draft on the offensive line, and that's Sadiq Charles. Not only is he going to be healthy, and Rivera said he's progressing nicely, and I, I reported as such to you guys uh, previously, but it's also where is he going to play? We all thought he was in the tackle mix last year, but then he got hurt as training camp opened. Then he played – only two snaps he played were at left guard. Now Wes Schweitzer came in there. That's a big question. If they view him as a tackle, maybe they don't then need to draft one at 19. Um, not that they would need to regardless, but you know what I mean. Um, but if they view him as a guard, then they, they probably do need to get a tackle somewhere. And basically, just Rivera said with regards to where Charles plays, he says, quote, it's up in the air, to be honest. Really, that's all he said. The most of the rest of it is he just talked about, um, you know, he said later, I should say, we'll see where he fits best for us. We know he has the ability to play left side, right side, guard or tackle. He's a young man that has dimension to his game. We're pretty excited about having him back on the football field. I don't like to tell you guys when I'm normally sort of up in the air with something because I'd like that to be a little more definitive, but I really kind of am up in the air on this one. I think the fact that so many people I've talked to, going back to even last year, sort of talked about Charles playing guard or seemed to be you know a little bit more uncertain about him playing tackle leads me to think that Washington ultimately does kind of view him in that uh, guard spot. And again, a reminder, he played in the game he played last year. It was Jaron Christian was still the tackle. So it wasn't like you couldn't have replaced him. They did replace Wes Martin, who had had a particularly rough game the prior week against the Rams. Uh, so that may have been a factor there. So we'll see how that goes. But how they view Sadiq Charles should be some sort of factor in this draft. If they draft a tackle day one, day two, Charles is a guard. If they don't, then that could be a sign of the opposite. Um, and lastly, uh, you know, R Rivera was asked about, um, well, actually, let me just say this. He was asked uh, by Michael Phillips, our friend from the Richmond Times Dispatch, what Rivera did knowing, uh, knowing Michael, knowing that, you know, Rivera had, had a second vaccination shot. Um, you know, Rivera kind of got choked up, I think, for a quick second there. And he said, he told us that he went back home to see his parents in, in California, that it was the first time he had done that. He had seen that since his cancer diagnosis. Um, and he mentioned specifically that he, that he hugged his mom and that he said, quote, that was probably the best thing, end quote, about um, the trip. And it was just a, a reminder, you know, uh, like, like our other reporters, we're all trying to focus on the draft, what his next steps are for this team. 
And it just it was a reminder of how much we've all sort of endured and, and dealt with over this last, you know, year. And, and hopefully out there, everybody is, is safe. And, you know, I, you know, I feel terrible for anybody who's who suffered loss during this, whether that's, um, you know, the passing away of somebody close to them, uh, their job, uh, you know, job loss, economic loss. It's been a tough time. Hopefully we're, we're coming through this soon as people are starting to get vaccinated, like Ron Rivera uh, did. And... Um, I got my first shot for what it's worth. So um, hopefully um, everybody you know, will start getting theirs and we'll move forward here. Uh, getting back to some sort of normalcy and that includes that includes football. I know Roger Goodell said he anticipates having crowds at, at games next year. I don't know yet about how it's going to work for OTAs or training camp or locker room or things like that. But hopefully things are progressing in the right way. Um, we're going to progress right now to the interview. Greg Cosell with NFL Films. Really excited to talk to, 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 to share this with you guys. As I said at the time, Greg and I talked about a bunch of different prospects, got his takes on players. I think I think Washington could be uh, possibly targeting at 19. Um, but got into some day two guys, quarterbacks, talked the top of the draft and other facets of the draft and the Washington football team. So here we go. My conversation with Greg Cosell from NFL Films here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right. This is a very special uh, episode of the Standard Room Only Podcast because we're about to get a lot smarter uh, with one of the uh, NFL film true uh, gurus out there. He is Greg Cosell of NFL Films and the NFL Matchup Show. Greg, I so appreciate your time. How are you doing? Doing great, Ben. How are you? You know what? I'm... I'm uh, I'm, I'm living the dream like everybody else, uh, but, I, <laughs> but I mean that positively. Every day, try to stay as positive as possible, and things are good. We're talking the draft with you. How, how, how bad? Uh, how bad could things be? How, how deep are you right now in your NFL draft uh, homework? Oh, I'm very deep, but feeling like there's so many guys that I still haven't seen that I still want to get to. But I've probably seen about 150 players in, in detail, maybe a few more. But uh, there's always more, Ben. That's the problem. <laughs> Well, I can imagine even if you're studying, whether it's Trevor Lawrence or somebody who's a seventh rounder, there's always more tape. You, you, you know, it's hard to watch everything of every single player. And you want to know, no. obviously. Well, I don't do that anyway. I mean, I, I do watch a lot. I mean, you know, I'm a believer that you have to watch a good amount of tape and I watch full games. But when I say there's more, I mean, there's more players. There's so many yeah. players and so, particularly at certain positions, wide receiver, corner. Those are the two positions that normally have the most players drafted every year. And um, I'm a little behind on my corners. I, that's what I start need to start doing is hitting the corners hard. Gotcha. Well, I, I don't know if I'm going to ask you about that position. So we'll, so we'll, so we'll be well, saying about 10 of them. I've seen 10, 12 of them, but usually 30 or more get drafted every year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, for, you know, Washington, I think they could still use some depth, but I think they took care of that position a little bit with William Jackson. And before we get into the prospects, I am just sort of curious because you obviously, during the course of the year, are studying all the teams. Washington had a very interesting year. They, they win the NFC East, but only at seven and nine. And there's you know other factors within the division <laughs> that, that that led to them finishing on top. Um, but they did finish strong. They had a solid game against the Bucks in the playoffs. Um, since then, they've revamped the front office. They've signed. I mentioned William Jackson, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Curtis Samuel. So I'm just sort of curious, like where, where do you kind of view Washington right now, kind of heading into the draft? Um, I mean, I think they've made some improvements. I think Samuel is a, is a really nice uh, pickup. Obviously, William Jackson, 
they needed corners. Um, that was good. Uh, they'll have Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, as their starting quarterback. He's a professional quarterback, so you feel good going into the season. Uh, I know they also feel good about uh, Heineke and Allen, uh, so, but Fitzpatrick will be the guy. And, you know, he's been a pretty much a quality starter throughout his career. Uh, obviously, he's got the rep that at some point his his play uh, deteriorates and diminishes a little, but you can line up and play with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah, and, and that's obviously what they're what they're hoping for. Um, I'll come back to the quarterbacks in a second, but I wanted to just sort of get into the draft with you um, at linebacker, which you know I think is arguably Washington's top need at this point. They haven't really added anything of significance um, so far. Ron Rivera expressed concern about the position during the year. Today he spoke during a, a press conference over Zoom and tried to say he was more positive about things the way it ended. Regardless, I think they arguably need one and could easily justify taking one in the first round at 19. Um, at that spot, three guys stand out to me. You've got Notre Dame's Jeremiah Owusu-Karamoa, Tulsa's Zayvon Collins, and Kentucky's Jamin Davis. I, I, on the, I assume you had a chance to, to explore those guys. Sure well, curious then about your thoughts on them. And then I guess sort of specifically, do you see any of them one being a better fit for Washington if they were all there? Well, it's funny you mentioned Jamin Davis because I watched him a good five, six weeks ago. Okay. And, you know, you have to understand how this whole process works, Ben. Everybody does their, these little mock drafts and everybody does these evaluations. And I don't know who watches what I, and I don't, I only know what I do. Uh, so I watched him about six weeks ago, five, six weeks ago. I loved his tape. And then I, he had his pro day. It might've been today or yesterday. And he came in at six, three and a half, 234. He ran really well. His vertical jump was off the charts, which is a measure of explosiveness. But I think Jamin Davis is one of the best linebacker prospects in this draft, given his size, his movement. He's got length. He's got play speed. He's got range. He can cover. Uh, I think that his, his combination of length and play traits makes him a three-down linebacker in the NFL. Now, whether that happens week one, no one can answer that, but it will happen. He's rangy. He's fluid. I think he fits exceptionally well in today's NFL where you're really kind of defending the pass before you're defending the run. I mean, I think linebackers today need to be able to play in your sub. If they can't play in your sub, they're only going to play 30% of your snaps. And that's ideally not what you want. They have to close down space. They've got to play with range. I really like Jamin Davis. I believe he'd be there at 19 as well. You, you know, you, you mentioned uh, that you just watched his tape a, a, a few weeks ago. I always tell people that the, the, the notion of risers and fallers in mock draft season is sort it's, of it's meaningless. <laughs> right. What, what it really means is the, 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 mock draft community which is busy doing other stuff during the year is only catching up for the most part to where teams kind of already were the teams aren't just figuring out Jamin Davis or over the last or here's weeks. what happens and I'm saying this honestly here's what happens teams and coaches because they have to go through free agency and then they really hit the draft hard you know the position coaches do their positions but they have to go through free agency first so what happens is is people then who, who do mock drafts, and, and now there's so many people who do that, they, they may have a chance to talk to a coach. And a coach, because he's later in the process, he's not watching college tape in you know January, 
or February, he's doing free agency. And then the coach says to, to a guy, well, you know, I've been studying these five linebackers and blah, blah, blah. And then the guy says, oh, yeah, okay, you like him? Yeah, and the coach says, yeah, I do. And so the ne next day, that, that guy says, oh, this guy's a riser. You know, <laughs> right. Oh, I mean, I'm just watching the tape. I, like I said, I watched Davis five or six weeks ago, and I loved his tape. So I have no idea where he'll get drafted. I don't do mocks, Ben, because to me, mocks are guesses. Uh, you know, that, that, to me, that's not the best use of my time. So um, I just like to watch tape and evaluate the players. I don't get to talk to them or any of the other stuff. So all, all I'm doing is, is basing everything I say on tape study. Uh, you're you're wise to avoid mock drafts. It causes undue headaches, and it's oh, a, yeah. it's it's a, it's a silly exercise I put myself through every year. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I did have a scout tell me that he thought Jamin Davis that he would imagine Ron Rivera might look at him and think he's looking to some degree at Thomas Davis from their time together right. in Carolina. Does that sound like a a fair comparison? Um, in the sense that Jamin Davis is highly athletic, and Thomas Davis came out of Georgia as a safety and got moved to linebacker. So obviously he was very athletic for a linebacker and could do a lot of the athletic dimensions needed. And Jamin Davis is, as I said, he's long, he's rangy, he's fluid. He has some explosive traits to him. Um, I, I really like the player. You know, I, I like I said, I, I ended up watching more of him than I probably should have. Let's see, I watched one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games, full games, just because I, I kind of like watching him. Well, that 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 that's good. That that that's going to happen if you like the guy. Um, I also had mentioned Awusu Karamona and Zayvon Collins. I, I don't want to assume, but do you let you you mentioned Davis over them? Do you like him in general over them, and specifically for Washington? Well, I think Awusu Karamona is a fascinating player. He is long, he's rangy, he's sudden, he's explosive. There is no question this kid is an explosive guy with elite movement traits. I mean, that's just what he is. He was kind of an overhang linebacker. Um, he's not really a stacked backer. I think you have to decide what he is in the context of your defense, because I don't think he's a stacked backer. That's just my opinion. Maybe others see it differently. Um, what is he? Is he a sub defender? Is he a safety? Um, he might only weigh 212, 215. I have no idea. I, I, I don't know if Notre Dame had their pro day yet. I, I, they did I, yesterday. I can look up the weight while we're talking. Oh, they did yesterday? Okay. I know they hadn't as of earlier this week. So um, I'll have to look up those numbers. But he's not 225, 230. Uh, so what is he? Um, you know, it's the whole Isaiah Simmons thing from a year ago. And, and Simmons is a much bigger man, but Simmons, you know, people would say, well, he can play five positions. Well, it doesn't work like that in the NFL. Um, and Simmons ended up being a sub player who played a lot of safety, which is really what he is. Um, so Owusu Koromoa, I don't know how Ron Rivera and staff would see him, um, but I think you have to decide what he is because no one comes in the league and plays five positions. So We'll see, but he's incredibly explosive. I mean, he's truly a dynamic player. Maybe some see a Derwin James type player, and that would be pretty good. He looked like he came in about 221. Oh, so that's, see, that's high for him. He obviously did that intentionally. So he wants to be a linebacker. That's how he views himself. How, how tall was he? Do you have that? 
Uh, I will do. Uh, he came in at six, just over six one. Okay. So there you go. So he's he's tall, and he came in at two twenty one. Do you have a forty time by any chance? I don't think he ran the forty. Okay. But the point is, the fact that he came in at two twenty one means that he wants to be a linebacker, and that's how he sees himself. Um. So just to play a little strategy with me here. So let's just say for argument's sake that those guys are there at 19. Now you've looked at also linebackers who could potentially be available on, on day two. Um, part of this game is for, is for any team is, okay, well, if we take this player here, are we better off doing that here? Or should we take a different position here that we could use that maybe is a little thinner later on? I think there is some linebacker depth. Do you have a sense of like, are these guys, are those three guys sort of, significantly is it worthwhile taking against one of those three at 19 versus waiting or do you see pretty decent depth on day two at linebacker therefore yeah. maybe maybe you can uh, wait well that's my problem i can't think of all the linebackers now you have to give me some names that's <laughs> sure well no problem guys like ohio state is like pete warner and like baron browning well baron browning thing. see baron browning is a fascinating prospect in this draft because browning is a ridiculously good athlete and he's too he's i believe he's over 240 he is a ridiculous athlete he was a big time five-star recruit coming out of texas and he played multiple positions at ohio state um he's strong he's well built uh he's played on the ball he's played off the ball he's got a phenomenal size athleticism profile um he Again, he's he, he was 6'3 and an eighth and 241. He is a big man and he can rush the quarterback. He's an on the ball pass rusher in your sub if you choose to use him that way. So he's another guy that he has first round traits, whether he's seen that way, because he, he was kind of a spot player at Ohio State because they had so many good players. So I'm anxious to see how teams see him, but he's he's an explosive athlete and a big athlete. His buddy, Pete Werner is, is another really interesting player. He's a good size kid, um, six, three and an eighth, well, about six, three, probably in the two forty range, another three down linebacker type, not as explosive as Browning, but, um, you know, he, I don't know if you remember this player, you know, who Warner reminded me of when I watched him, he reminded me of Paul Pizlozny coming out of Penn state, not a phenomenal athlete, but a good athlete. Pizlozny played 11 years, was a really good player. Um, I think Warner has the physical and recognition reaction traits he needed to play in the league. You know, he's not going to be a first rounder, but you certainly could get him, I, I would think, in the second. Again, I don't know because I don't do it that way, but um, he's a good prospect as well. Um, all right, let's switch over to the other position that I think Washington, if we're just talking need, could could target in the first round and that's offensive tackle it looks to me like big class yeah one. it looks like it's a pretty deep group it looks like two within the group it's maybe separated within two sections there's the top four guys which in some order Penny sewell rashawn slater uh elijah vera tucker if one views him as a tackle and then christian darisoff from virginia tech then you have a second group which includes guys like sam cosme from texas walker little from stanford um a lot of these guys are considered to be, if not first round picks, at least, you know, somewhere pretty good in the second. Uh, I'm just sort of curious, as you've gone through the tape, do you see that sort of those top four guys kind of being a cut above and, and with, with Darisaw being to use here, the sort of the avatar for that group, 
is that a big difference between those four guys and then say your Walker Littles and uh, Cosmes? Well, they're all different. That's the thing. So now it comes down to your O-line coach and then what you're looking for, because to me, Slater and Vera Tucker are stylistically similar. They're compact. They're streamlined. They're not long. I think they're both tackles personally, because you still have to line up with 64 tackles every Sunday. You know, there's not 50 Joe Thomases who have length and sweet feet. You, you still have to line up with guys that tackle. So to me, Slater and Vera Tucker are still tackles. Uh, but they're, they're built more along the lines of Tristan Wirth. They're, they're compact and streamlined. Cosme is long and athletic. He's, he's built differently. Um, I really like Darisaw. Um, you know, Sewell's obviously a very good prospect. He's going to be gone. Darisaw is interesting. Um, I think he's really athletic. I think he's really looks the part of an offensive tackle and plays like one. So I, I don't know where any of these guys are going to go, but it's a deep class. There's other players who are very interesting. There's a kid from Nebraska named Brendan James, who I really liked his tape. I watched a number of games. He was a, a either a three or four year starter in Nebraska. Um, good sized kid. Uh, you know, he's, I don't know where any of these guys are going to go, but it's a very deep offensive tackle class. You mentioned liking Darius Based on what you've seen from him, is there a type of offensive system you think he could be uh, best suited for? Um, you know, I think Darius has just got the traits you look for. He's got size, length, athleticism, mobility. He's strong. Um, he's got very light athletic feet. To me, he could line up in any system. I don't think he's system specific. Um, but I... It would not surprise me, okay, and, and this includes Sewell, if some coaches had Darisaw as the number one offensive tackle prospect. It would not surprise me if that was the case. Wow, okay. Did they have uh, their pro day, Virginia Tech? I couldn't find those numbers. They did. Uh, they had it uh, earlier this week. I've lost track of time, but yeah, Martin May, he was there earlier in the week, so I was uh, okay. paying attention to that. Yeah, I, I'll have to look and find those numbers. I couldn't find it the other day. Um. Yeah, no, I mean, he came in kind of what you would think. I, I want to say off the top of my head about 6'4", I mean, 300-something, obviously. Arm, arm length is about 34 and a half. Which is really, you know, that's perfectly fine. Yeah, yeah, everything, everything looks to be uh, pretty good. And, yeah, to me, if he's there, I if one of those tackles is there, I think that's the pick. I just don't know if any of them will be there, but that's a, a separate conversation here. Um, let, let's get to the fun quarterbacks. <laughs> uh you, we meant, you mentioned already, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Kyle Allen, Taylor Heineke are here. It's obvious Washington needs or does not have an obvious long-term answer at quarterback. Ryan Fitzpatrick's 38, and the other two guys <clears throat> right. have started, but they are viewed mostly as, as stop gaps or backups at this point. That said, they all started games last year in, in the NFL, and I could make the argument that they don't need to – like, if first from a depth pers- perspective, they're, they're good at quarterback – they just, if they don't have to force it to get somebody for this year, if you fall in love with a prospect in the draft, that's a different different story. Um, everybody wants them to say, Washington should draft a quarterback though on day two. We're going to assume the top five quarterbacks will be gone long before 19. I, I always think this is sort of a, 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 an overhype circumstance to a degree. Of course, you have to fill the most important position in the game, meaning quarterback. But a day two player at any other position is a guy you probably want to start right away or pretty quick or behind the rotation so to take a gamble on a quarterback who if they were all that would be selected a lot higher 
of course, guys come from nowhere and surprise. Kirk Cousins was a fourth round pick. Russell Wilson was a third round pick. But a lot, a lot of these guys often get they're they're overreached in in the draft for them. I'm just curious, what's your view on day two quarterbacks in general? The idea of you need one, you should take one there when it is a big swing and a miss kind of situation. Well, I think if you're going to draft a quarterback day two, then you're saying that you expect him to be your starter at some point, because that means you're taking a quarterback essentially in the top 90 picks, give or take. So I think you're saying that, hey, we don't view this guy as special right now. But if it's a round two or round three quarterback, I think you believe he can be a starter in this league. And maybe he's not a top three quarterback in the league, but that you can line up and win games with that guy and theoretically win a Super Bowl with that guy, because that's the goal. You're not drafting a quarterback to say, hey, I hope we can get to I was going to say nine and seven. I guess now you have to say nine and eight. But, um, (laughs) you know, I think I think if you draft a quarterback in the top three rounds you're expecting him at some point to be a starter that you can line up and win and win in the playoffs with now there's different levels of quarterbacks clearly ben and some require more team than others uh some require more component parts than others but at the end of the day you're expecting that that quarterback would be a starter who can win games for you and important games and, and I guess sort of my my thought was like, it seems like, like I looked at sort of like, just to use Todd McShay's mock draft as an example, he had Washington taking Kellen Mond with the 51st pick, but he says right. in the mock draft that he has Kellen Mond as like his 80 something prospect. And at no other position, would you, would you expect a team to draft the 80 something prospect in the fifties, but quarterback is special. So I guess just, it often feels like it can be a bit of a reach that people just want you to take the quarterback, but- <clears throat> you got to be careful about that. I mean, quarterbacks, obviously the, the most important position on the field, but, and I don't know where Washington has Mond, but let's say Washington picks 51. Is that what it is? Yes. Did you say if you have Mond as your 75th rated player on your board, in my opinion, I don't work for a team. What do I know? I don't think you can take Mond at 51. If he's your 75th best player on the board, if he's your 55th, that's okay. Sure. But not if he's your 75th. Because that means there's 24 players who you have rated better than Kellen Mond. To me, um, that's too many. You know, you've got to be taking one of those 24. That's too many. Sorry about my. Uh, I'm. 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 Apparently, I'm new at this podcasting. I didn't turn my phone off. Ah. I, I reported the other day that Washington has shown interest in Davis Mills, who is going to okay. be one of these players in this round two, you know, round three range. Sort of an oddity. He really didn't play a ton. 11, 11 starts right and the stats are you know not not overly interesting but he's obviously generating some interest uh what's your sense of davis mills uh, yeah. as a player and potentially how he might work with a scott turner offense i mean i think he probably made a mistake coming out but he's out um but he looks the part see david mills is almost davis mills is almost six four looks the part there are flashes where he just looks like an efficient pocket passer with really clean mechanics and an easy delivery. Um, I think that he has some of the things you look for. For Davis Mills to be a good pro, three things stand out to me, and there's probably more than three. But number one, he's going to have to be precisely accurate because he's essentially a pocket quarterback. Number two, he's going to have to be able to eliminate and isolate the right throws 
within your progressions. He's going to have to be very good at that. And number three, because he's not really a guy who's going to make a ton of second reaction plays, even though he can move a little, he's going to have to master what we call pocket movement, moving within the pocket. He's going to have to do that. Uh, those three things will be critical if he's going to be a good NFL quarterback. Can he do that? He probably can, but he's played so little, you just don't know yet. I mean, his 2020 tape at Stanford showed a somewhat mechanical and robotic kind of quarterback. I just think he needs more experience. Gotcha. Yeah, that 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 that, that seems to be uh, the case at the minimum. L let me get you off of Washington and go to the top of the draft. San Francisco the other day obviously made a massive trade to jump all the way up to three. Uh, I think most of us are assuming that Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson are the top two picks, and then it gets interesting at three. There has been speculation now is this to trade up for Mac Jones, Trey Lance, Justin Fields. Um, you've obviously looked at these guys. Just curious, like did, as you process that trade, did just based on what you've watched on tape, does anything come to mind for you as to which of those guys makes the most sense or, or which one you kind of like the most? Well, I mean, I think Kyle Shanahan's offense, and he's spoken about this publicly, Kyle Shanahan's offense is very much built on play action, boot action. He defines reads and throws for the quarterback extremely well. His play action and boot action are conventional, meaning the quarterback's under center. So it's not shot, it's not very much shotgun. It's under center. So when you're under center as a quarterback and you do play action, you turn your back to the defense. That's a learned trait. A lot of quarterbacks in college uh, who come to the NFL play in the shotgun in spread offense. So even if they run play action, they literally just might put their head down for a very brief second, but it's not the true play action where the quarterback's under center. So again, you have to decide how important that is and how coachable and teachable that is. And if it's a big deal or not a big deal, Trey Lance ran an offense in North Dakota state. And obviously he only played one game this year and he's young, but he ran an offense at North Dakota state where he was under center. They actually played with a fullback. He is probably the most refined and advanced in terms of the true play action pass game where you turn your back to the defense. Uh, does that mean he's the best of the three? There's so many factors that go into play. Right. Mac Jones is not overly athletic. You have to decide what the balance is in today's NFL between efficient pocket play, which ultimately Mac Jones would be if he reached his, his best versus the need to move and make plays off script, which Mac Jones cannot do. You have to decide what that balance is. Is that important to you? Do you see that as a necessity or is that simply a luxury? Um, Justin Fields is highly, highly talented in all areas. Big kid, well put together, big arm. Um, probably a little too deliberate right now in, in how he sees it. But again, that could be a function of what he's been asked to do within the context of the Ohio State offense. So they all have strengths, weaknesses. No quarterback then comes into the NFL as a finished product. No quarterback. So you just have to decide what's teachable, what's coachable, what's fixable, and how that works within the context of how you structure your offense. Yeah, no, it's going to be fascinating to see uh, what happens. Um, Greg, I know I need to get you out of here. In, in no, a we're second. good. You can ask me something else if you want. Uh, okay. Well, I appreciate it because I've got some other names on here. Um, 
I'm just fascinated. Devonta Smith obviously had an amazing career at Alabama. He wins the Heisman Trophy. Yep. But wow, is he small? And I, 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 I personally don't like investing a ton in wide receivers if I'm sort of building a team. But obviously, you need that position. I, I just, I keep thinking in my head that teams are ultimately going to shy away from him if there's another option that they may like, I'm just curious for you, does the tape show enough that this guy, well, don't worry about the size. He should be drafted as you know top 10 somewhere. I think number one, you have to accept what he is. He's an outlier. He's 170 pounds. Um, he's a long, thin, smoky, sm- silky, smooth, linear strider. He's not a loose in the hips, shake and bake, shifty guy. He's a, he's a linear strider to me. If you draft him, you have to use him as an off-the-ball receiver, meaning your Z receiver. He's off the ball, and you can use him in motion because you need him to have free access off the ball so he can stride out. Now, he's got a lot of really good traits. I mean, he's, he's a very, very talented receiver. So it just depends on what your worldview is of his 170 pounds and how that means he gets deployed within the context of your offense. My sense is he's not an X. He's not an on the ball line of scrimmage receiver. There are shots of him from 2019 and 2020 where he's a an X on the ball and he gets pushed out of bounds. You know, he's 170 pounds. And like I said, he's not he's not short and shifty. He's long and linear. So I think he could be a really good receiver, but you have to understand what he is and what how to get the best out of what his really good traits are um i mentioned before with washington linebacker tackle it's at 19 i think if they go off the board from that free safety is a need and trayvon morig if i'm saying that right from tc <clears throat> yeah. it feels like when you look at various rankings he's kind of clearly the top free safety in the class according to a lot of projections curious what you think of him washington does need a free safety i don't know if they would take one at 19 but if they did i would think he would be the guy yeah, I mean, he's the name you hear about. Uh, you know, there, there's others. I I think Morig is a good prospect. Don't get me wrong. Um, I don't think he's head and shoulders. I mean, th- I loved Andre Sisko from Syracuse, who got hurt after two games this year. I think Sisko is, is a, a really fascinating safety prospect, who he's not Terran Matthew, okay? No one is. But I, I thought of Matthew watching Sisko's tape. Um, and I think Sisko again, because he didn't play this year. You know, it's funny how that works. If he had played the rest of this season and played at a really high level, the way he was, he played last year and through the first two games this year, I think we'd be having a different conversation about Andre Sisco. But I I think he's really, to me, the most fascinating of the post-safety players in this draft, because there's not many post-safeties in this draft. Uh, that's interesting. I had a, a, a scout cite him as well and told me to like, cause I've mentioned the free safety and they said to keep an eye on him. Um, Greg, I, I really appreciate the time. So, so interesting. Uh, I, I look forward to uh, you getting back into the film room and studying the next 150 guys. Uh, I don't know if I'll make it through another 150, Ben, but I got guys I got to watch. It's bugging me. Is there anybody one in particular that you're excited? To oh see? no, I just got to do a bunch of corners. You know, there's a bunch of defensive players I have to watch that you know I haven't gotten to it's just you know defensive players take time because you got to watch games you can't just pull up their their you know 45 plays and say okay I know what he is you got to watch games so that takes time did you get to Asante Samuel yet 
Oh yeah, I've seen Asante Samuel. Is that wild seeing the son of the? I mean, I know it happens uh, all the time. But... I didn't really think about that, but you know, he's he's a good prospect. He's 5'10", 180. It's going to be very interesting to see how teams see him. He sees himself as an outside corner, but he's 5'10", 180. Yeah, well, no, he'll he'll be another one that's interesting. Greg, thank you so much for your time, everybody. Of course, go go follow Greg on Twitter at Greg Cosell, and uh, you know when when the season's in play. Now you've got a seventeenth game. Uh, I know team. Like, okay with good. me? I don't mind. But <laughs> the players mind. I don't mind. <laughs> well, we'll get it. You, you'll you'll be busy, and we're excited to see your work, Greg. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Ben. All right, joining the podcast as promised. He is one of the go-to guys when it comes to all things. NFL salary cap. He is Jason Fitzgerald from Over the Cap. Jason, I really appreciate the time. I you look you look. We're talking over Zoom. I can see you. You look a little bit calmer. I imagine you didn't. You didn't. We're not looking as calm the first uh, first couple weeks of this thing. How, how's everything going? Uh, it's going okay. You know, it's uh, free agency is really busy in the the initial stages of it, and now it kind of slows down. So. You go from a very hectic schedule of really trying to track down contract information and different things with signings to a much more steady pace now. And people aren't as demanding either of uh, getting some of the bigger contract details since the, the big ones are done. So now it's just kind of filling in a couple pieces of the puzzle to to get the teams in, in order now. You know, we all uh, on the outside, you know, there's always this collective gas. Oh, my God, look at the deal that that guy got. And then it's like the rat-a-tat-tat of it all. But we're all viewing it from like the, the concept of maybe the money, but also – the players going to team X or leaving team Y or whatever it may be like new England, getting all those players and two tight ends and so on. Was that, what was there any move to you? Well, I guess one, you're looking at it slightly differently. You, you want to see the real numbers and also you're viewing it for, I'm sure from a cap perspective, was there any one deal from you that sort of stopped doing your tracks? You were like, Whoa, Whoa, what just um, happened here? Well, the, the Patriots did two of those deals. I, I thought the, the deal they did for Johnny Smith was. Was pretty crazy um yeah they, they valued him at about 12.5 million a year they gave him a ton of money this year I, I didn't see that one coming at all uh they also did a deal for nelson aguilar that was just pretty wild especially considering the wide receiver market this year kind of laid an egg uh they jumped in early they paid him 11 million dollars a year i know it's only a two-year deal uh but the, those, those are the two deals that really stood out um i think on the negative side maybe, maybe the trent williams one in san francisco as well i, I didn't expect him to go to 23 a year um, but it was really those two Patriots deals and they were early in free agency and it was like, Whoa, where, where did this come from? Yeah, for sure. And, 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 the, and the Aguilar one, I mean, it connects to a degree with Curtis Samuel and Washington, just from the perspective of same position. And, you know, Samuel was one of the names we were certainly tracking here. There was all the obvious potential connections with, you know, the, the coaching staff here and Washington needing another receiver and so on. So we're all kind of waiting to see which receivers are going to go off the board first. We, we, there were already some guys that were tagged. Uh, you know, Kenny Galladay was the big one, and he took a while for him, a yep. while, relatively speaking, to, to the market um, to, to get off the board. And I don't I don't know if anybody was thinking that Nelson Aguilar was going to go high. And you mentioned the money. Curtis Samuel comes in a couple of days later, I think, and signs for three years, 34 million at 34 and a half million as the, the top line, 23 million guaranteed. I'm just curious, like, broadly, what did you think of that deal relative to this market? Because I'm kind of like, on the one hand, pretty decent number like it's not overly crazy on the other hand the wide receiver market was sort of tamped down a little bit juju smith schuster didn't get a lot of money some other guys had to settle for one-year deal so where do you kind of view the curtis samuel signing um both from a value perspective and just kind of what washington was getting there i mean it was, it was okay um the, the numbers came pretty close to what i thought he would get in free agency so i i wasn't really too surprised by those figures um when they came out 
Yeah, there, there was a fact that the wide receiver market started to, to kind of go down uh, where you had Will Fuller sign in the one year deal for a little, probably right around 10 million. Uh, you mentioned Juju Smith-Schuster getting no interest at all in free agency. Um, so maybe they, they pushed a little bit, but I mean, he's 25 years old. Uh, you know, he's a young player. Um, there's probably, you know, a lot of upside with him. So I think you look at this sometimes a little bit more long-term than some of the other players, which might be shorter term acquisitions. So I, I think it's an okay contract. Um, I don't think it's overly great, but it's certainly not bad by any stretch. So there was something in the contract that fascinated me. And maybe this is just my lack of understanding with how things work, but I wanted to bring you on to talk, to talk about this. And that is the topic of void years, which became a bigger deal this year. I, uh, it's not, a new thing, but it felt like it's become, it felt becoming um, more mainstream th- this year uh, that the Taysom Hill contract was one yeah. that really, I think sort of, <laughs> sort of stood out where it's a sort of insane money that he's getting a hundred over a hundred million dollars. It's like, well, not, not really. Not really. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's water. I was hoping maybe you could anyway, in the, in the Curtis Samuel deal, while it was reported as three for 34, there were actually two void years in it. I'd gotten some sense of this might be the case and tweeted about it, but I, I I had been told by people in advance, I can't be right. Why would Washington with cap space do that? Anyway, could you just broadly, I guess, explain void years, why it became so interesting this year? And what, if anything, does that, that Washington did that in the Curtis Samuel uh, contract? What is, what do you, what do you make of that? Sure. So uh, void years are basically a way of hiding money right now uh, against the salary cap. So basically what you're doing is you're deferring money to years that go beyond the salary cap. It's something the teams came up with years and years ago when the rookies used to get paid a bunch of money. Um, there's a couple teams that have used this like exclusively Dallas had used it for a long time. The saints and the Eagles just abuse this. So did the Panthers um, to where you just keep pushing money, keep pushing money, keep pushing money to keep your salary cap charges down right now. So that's the purpose of it. Like you said, I was surprised to see it in the, the deal for Samuel only because Washington doesn't have any salary cap issues this year. There's no salary cap issues next year. So I didn't really see a logic to it. I'm going to guess their logic is they see this as a longer term relationship um, that they see this as eventually being a five year deal, you know, where they're, they're going to come in two years from now, he's going to play great. And they're going to say, Hey, we want to sign you to an extension. And they just look at it as a way to, to bury a couple million dollars in cap room in years that they think he'll be under contract. If they're not going to extend him or he doesn't play up to this deal and you don't get into an extension, then yeah, I, th- I think it's a pure waste. But that's the only logic I could see in it because there's nothing they did in any of their other deals this offseason that would signal them doing this. And there's nothing with their salary cap that should signal them doing this either. Yeah, I mean, and that was the the, the pushback I would guess I was getting was if you it's one thing if these teams like the Saints, who were in cap hell, to say the least, starting this process, did something like that. But for a team like Washington that came into the salary cap, came into the offseason with you know, top five, top six money available. Um, they did spend some to get a William Jackson to, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, but it wasn't insane. And they haven't, those are really the only three uh, significant signings that, that they've made as far in terms of money, as far as we know. And they still have, and I want to ask about this in a sec, they still have 18 million, sort of. We'll get, we'll explain why, sort of. But um, so, yeah, that, that's why it seemed odd. But I, I wanted to then connect it to something else. And you'll tell me if this connection is interesting or not. The Carolina Panthers, uh, people may have heard, there's some connections with Washington to Carolina. <laughs> uh, the Carolina Panthers entered 2020 with, or or they finished 2020, I should say, sorry, with the most dead cap space in the NFL, 54 million. Now, 
I did not officially break down every single transaction that led to that, but some of these moves I'm sure were factored in last year after Ron Rivera left, but Marty Herney was still there. He's now obviously here. Uh, Rob Rogers, Washington's cap guy was here last year, but he had been there before. And in looking at the history, it doesn't look like Carolina was insane with the dead cap, but last year they were leading the league. And I'm wondering, is there some connection to, or is there some connection to the, 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 the dead cap? I'm oh, sorry, the void years with Samuel that Carolina had a dead cap or led the league in dead cap last year. Is there any connection to that? And is it, does any of this indicate how Washington may be positioning itself going forward with its planning, how it views the salary cap or anything along those lines? Yeah, I think so. Um, Carolina, if you look back at them historically under uh, Herney's tenure, um, you know, specifically in the the, the first run, uh, I guess, that he had there, they were very bold with some of their contracts. They used a lot of these different mechanisms to push kind of money into the future. Uh, that even extended past him and then it extended again when he came back. So I would think it's logical to think that they're going to bring that approach to Washington. Uh, Carolina, the last couple of years, has really been impacted, I think, by the decisions they made salary cap wise. Uh, even if you go back to when Dave Gettleman took over there, um, I think one of the comments that he made, and this is paraphrasing, but it was basically like they left me with a disaster of a salary cap, but they left me with a heck of a quarterback. And that's basically what it was. They had Cam Newton and they had a bunch of albatross awful contracts that were on that team. And that's the one thing that I, I think would worry you a little bit with Washington is, did they learn from this? You know, the Carolina people that went to Buffalo, they, they follow a, a completely different strategy. I don't know what's going to happen here. Uh, again, it's just one contract. So who knows? But right. did they learn something from what happened in Carolina? You know, maybe Carolina just spiraled out of control to where they didn't have any options, you know, kind of like how the Saints have done. Um, now you get to start over with a team that has a good salary cap position. Are you going to make those same mistakes? Or are you going to kind of drive it into the ground to where, you know, you really put yourself in a problem position, you know, two, three years from now when they start extend, uh, extending their rookies who were, you know, pretty good players, especially on defense in Washington. Right. And like you said, the good point, it's only the one-year deal. I mean, they signed William Jackson to a, to a pretty hefty deal and there was no, and that was before Samuel and there was no, uh, no void years there. Um, like you said, maybe it, it's an indication that they view Samuel, who they already had a connection with, as something beyond the three years. But, you know, in the world we live in now, and I'm not just talking about the NFL, I'm talking about like the pandemic, tomorrow is not promised. So the idea that you're going to tack on these years when you didn't need to d- did seem to be uh, a, p- a bit odd, um, to, to say the least. And, and so if I'm reading it right, so basically by tacking on the void years, it's not huge money, but they're putting some dead cap into these years beyond the three years that he's right so if his if his contract voids and they don't extend him they'll they'll leave themselves with four eight i think dead that uh in that year when the contract voids um if they extend him it'll just keep the those prorated dollars in there at two four and two four um so basically you want to get to an extension with them is the it's the bottom line with the way they did it right so okay so now there's about they've got about 18 million in cap space left uh, when I look at the uh, on, on your site um and you know it's still one of the better situations in the league but as we've established it's, things have quieted down there's still some players out there but not a ton at this point it would be I've said before I'd be surprised if Washington makes any kind of splashy deals probably some one year contracts like they just did with Adam Humphreys this week and and um uh, Daryl Roberts uh, they they picked up the cornerback from the Lions uh but that 18 million, I mean, just I, I, this is a little bit of salary cap one on one. I'm not the biggest salary cap guy, and I know not everybody is. So that 18 million is really kind of not a real number, right? Because yeah, it, 
You talk about yeah. like eight and a half million they kind of need for the draft picks, and then you still have to carry some into the season to in case you, you need to make some moves, things like that. Right. So it's a little bit lower um, what they'll need for the draft selections. Basically, they're, they're going to replace certain guys on the roster uh, when they when they sign new players or when they sign their rookies. So they'll probably use about three, five, three, seven in cap room um, on those players. And then what will happen is, as the regular season kicks around, you'll have a practice squad and you'll have some other positions um, that they have to address there as well. You know, the, the rosters expand to 53 players plus players go on injured reserve. So I, I think you would look at them as probably having about 3.5 million less than this going into the summer. And then coming out of the summer, they probably have to set aside another 3 million. So probably about six to 6.5 million less than that $18 million that you see. Um obviously there's still a ways to go until we get to, to next year. So I don't want to start obsessing about that. We have like a season to play and things like that. But um, you know, based on where Washington is, do you, does it, do they, it still seems like they're in a pretty good um, cap situation. I guess like it doesn't look that it doesn't look like they're going to get in any real trouble next year. Assuming these void things don't become like some, some obsession or something the, going into next year and everything like that. They're, they're looking like they're still in pretty good shape. Obviously there's, they still need to get a quarterback here at some point. And at some point, if they don't draft one, people are going to say, well, I guess they have to do it next year in the offseason. And the question is, well, do you have the money to do things? I know you can move money around at all times, but they look pretty healthy in general going forward. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're next year, you know, probably one of the top five, top six salary cap positions again in the league. So they're going to have money to do whatever they want, whether they get can get access to a quarterback, like you said, that that's a whole different story. But when it comes to, to needing to extend the players on their team, if they want to do it, they, they have the room to do it. If they want to add some more free agents next year, they have room to do it. Um, so their salary cap shouldn't be a problem as long as they don't do anything crazy, you know, in the next year or two to turn it into a problem. Um, you know, I, I, before we started talking, I said, Hey, I'm going to talk about some of these things. One thing I realized I did not mention, but I'm going to have to, because I'm an idiot if I don't, because this is exactly for you is uh, the Brandon Scherf situation. Uh, you know, he uh, obviously got tagged a couple weeks ago uh, for, you know, $18 million. And that was a big question of whether Washington would tag him. Did it make sense to tag him? I know we all discussed this. Uh, I talked to you about it. You talked to a lot of people about this. It was a big topic. But now some other things have happened, namely Joe Thune signed a pretty big contract in free agency. And a lot of these guys who were tagged for the second time, Leonard Williams, Justin Simmons, have come to terms on another deal. The Scherf thing, though, I mean, I, I, I'm not, this is not reporting, but it doesn't feel like, there's any real momentum here. And I'm kind of, my take was the second they gave him that tag and he signed it, that ended at Brandon Scherf's year, career with Washington after next season. But I'm wondering from your perspective, and I know you're not in the negotiating room, but like, what's your view of this world now? Kind of maybe refresh everybody. What would you have done if you were Washington? Would you have given sort of the tag based on where the numbers were for the guards? And what does the situation now after the Thune signing tell you about whether a deal could be done or what it might look like? Yeah, I, I think it was a bad decision for Washington. I didn't understand the purpose of the second tag. Um, it, it puts you, it, it's a negative, I think, for uh, negotiating long-term, kind of like you, you said with Leonard Williams getting that big deal and some of the other players on that second tag getting a bigger contract. They would have been better off doing what the Buccaneers did. Uh, you know, you let one of your players get to free agency and say, hey, just do a quick look around, see what's going to be there, come back to us, and let's do a long-term deal. Uh, you know, Thune, you, you, you got to make Thune the... Um, basically the de facto number one in free agency, which caused him to get that $18 million a year contract, which is only going to raise the value for your guy. 
it, this should have been done ahead of time, but I, I think you're right. Um, you know, maybe there'll be a push in July uh, to get a deal done, but I, I would think that they, they kind of missed the boat here and that he'll go into free agency next year and uh, see what he can get. I mean, the, the part of the issue before was before the Thune contract was, and this is why I don't understand why, like, so again, I'm not explaining this to you. Like when Justin Simmons, for example, got the second tag, even if he played on the second tag, the salary he was getting was in was within the top five salaries at his position at safety. Leonard Williams was essentially the same thing on the defensive line. Sheriff's number was way over yeah. all the other guards because guards get slumped in yeah. with tackles. Uh, he was like roughly $4 million more at that moment than the highest paid guard Brandon Brooks on a long-term deal. And that's what makes it so out of whack. It's like, it's not, you're not even negotiating anymore with a salary that's commiserate to the actual position. The Thune deal gets you closer, but if Scherfside views him as the better player, which I probably imagine they do, he was an all pro and not just counting Thune, but whatever. He's a top draft pick too. You know, they, they, he's got everything going for him. And yeah, it's just, there are positions where when that number gets too high, and again, same thing with the, the Buccaneers, where I mentioned the Barrett before, it was the same thing. His number was going to be too high that it was going to make it hard for them to negotiate a long-term deal. So they ended up saying, let's just, let's just work on a long-term deal. Forget this whole franchise tag. We, we don't view you as being worth $20 million or whatever his tag was going to be. We want to try to get you on a deal that's 16 or 17. So let, let's work on that. And that's exactly what Washington should have done. And I think you're hundred percent correct that this just pushes his value up more and more. And, you know, do you really want to be paying a guard $20 million, especially when you don't even have a quarterback on your team? I mean, it just seems just pointless. Right. So, so Thune, uh, you know, the, the, the broad numbers were ultimately five, for 80, um, got what, 31, uh, 32 basically guaranteed at signing. Um, you know, there's other guarantees in there. Just based on that, if they actually were, if Washington were to go back to Sheriff and say, okay, based on where we are, we do want to give you a long-term deal. What do you think is an actual number that would not make you vomit, I guess? It, or is that even possible at this point? If we're using Thune as the baseline and they're realistic, they have to go over that. Is there any number that Washington could give on a long-term deal that would be like, all right, I get it. Uh, I don't, yeah, I mean, you could get whatever whatever number they give them. I mean, if they if they go to eighteen five, if they go to nineteen, even if they went to twenty, I would at least get it. Um, but it still doesn't make the the way they approach the whole process. I think correct. Um, you know, I, I I think that the basically I think they just flubbed the whole thing. Um, so I, I'm not sure if there's really any number that would make me think they did it right. I, I think no matter what, they're going to have cost themselves. Um, money long-term uh, on the way that they handled this. Uh, but I, I think anything over 20 would be insane. Um, but maybe somewhere in between those, at least you can justify it in light of um, what he got out in Kansas City. Um, last question here for uh, Jason Fitzgerald with uh, Over the Cap. And I really appreciate uh, Jason's time. Of course, uh, you're going to follow Jason on Twitter at Jason underscore OTC, right? Yep, that's it. I, I did that by memory. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I still have some. Uh, okay. Um, just to broaden this out, I've been asking people around the league, you know, throughout free agency, hey, you know, what do you think of this deal? What do you think of that deal? And one deal that universally seems to be getting panned is the Adoree Jackson signing with the Giants. Um, not, not even just because of the money, which wasn't on the broad numbers, not even that far off from William Jackson and Shaquille Griffin. At least again, the 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 the, the, the headline numbers. What's behind the scenes may be a little bit different but that it came like, you know, well over into the second week of free agency and was for a player that had just been released by the Titans where if they had traded, like a, if the Giants had t- traded a seventh round pick to the Titans, they would have had him for less money. 
had him for like one year to see what he could do and then go from there. And there was a, it's not even that he's necessarily even in the same ballpark as a player as Jackson and Griffin. And then uh, people also said, wait a minute. Also, why did they give Kenny Galladay? It's, if they had signed Kenny Galladay day one, four for 72, that might've been understandable, but over a weekend of free agency, it felt like the Galladay market was drying up. And I don't, that some people around the league aren't even sure who they were competing with necessarily. What did you make of, I guess, both of those deals? And I guess sort of the Giants, this weird, uh, seems weird, maybe you don't agree, but sort of weird push in the second week of free agency paying kind of market price at a point when players were in theory going to be a little bit less. Yeah, I, I think the Giants just veered from whatever they were going to do. Uh, I think they they were kind of standing pat. They were going to see how things went with the roster they had and then kind of pick and choose maybe some of these cheaper players that were going to be out there in free agency in that second wave. I think something happened to where they just fell in love with Galladay and then were worried that they were going to lose him to a better team on like a one-year deal. Um, you know, let, let's say he just goes to a team like Green Bay, goes and plays there for $8 million playing with Aaron Rodgers and just inflates his stock by playing like mad. You know, he's, he's not going to be able to do that with Daniel Jones. So I think they, they just kind of fell behind with that, had to go to the numbers that Galladay was going to reach for at the beginning of free agency, which definitely would not have existed with any other team in the NFL at that point uh, when the Giants signed him. And then I think when they made that move, it was just like, all right, now we got to make some other moves. And I think that's where the Jackson one came into play, where even though you're probably not bidding against anybody, um, you know, you jump in there and it's like, we got to have this guy. Whatever we got to do, we got to make this deal happen now because we're in it this year. I think it was just a complete change in uh, their approach. Because like you said, if if this was their approach from day one, they would have gone after Galladay on day one and they would have made that call to Tennessee a couple of days before to say, hey, look, you're probably going to release this guy. What do you think if we send you a sixth round pick for him? We'll, we'll, we'll buy into his option for the year. It'll, it'll be guaranteed. And I can guarantee you that there would have been no extension talks at that point in time. There, there would have been nothing. They would have just executed the trade, seen how he played this year, and then gone back into it next year. So I think everything just changed when, whether it was Galladay reaching out to them or them sending feelers, I think that just changed their whole approach as to what they kind of viewed for their team this offseason. Yeah, and look, obviously, not, I mean, Galladay's obviously a good player, but it's just like, the whole point of this is the value of it. Like, you know, you can switch. I mean, that's, you want teams to be flexible and think, Hey, we have an opportunity here. You say the same thing with the draft. We have an opportunity here to do, to do something, to add a player that we think is pretty good and better than the value. Um, then when, then what we're going to spend here, the asset we're going to spend money or a pick, but that's the thing. They, they, well, usually they you look full, for a value, right? Right. Know, they, gave, they gave him the, they gave those guys full boat. And they gave the Dory Jackson, even more money at teams than he would have gotten. So, um, a bizarre one to say the least. Um, Jason, man, I really appreciate the time. Did you have, was, was this like a fun period for you? Like I, I don't even understand what, how you, when you look at all the contracts, what, what, if you get off and anything, was there anything that like you looked at these contracts and you're like, wow, that was my favorite uh, line. Was there any favorite like clause incentive uh, or anything that was interesting? You know, you, you, you always get into some of these deals and you, you kind of are interested in the way that they structure some of the stuff where you kind of look more at the future to see what it's going to cost to release a player, how much wiggle room teams are going to have to where even when you see a deal and go, wow, you know, that's kind of head scratching contract. And then you look at the numbers in year two, year three and say, okay, but I, I can see what they're thinking here in terms of we've got a lot of leeway to actually negotiate this player down at that point in time. Um, so it's like little things like that, that I look for with it. You know, it's fun. I, I really enjoy it. it it's tiring um you know during that time but i do like it you know i i just like looking at the numbers and seeing how the contracts shake out and you know how teams kind of approach this stuff and you know 
what, what that can mean for uh, some of the stuff that we, we try to do on the site to just, uh, I don't know, just put some little different tools out there uh, over the year that people can fool around with to, to get more of an idea of what their teams are doing. I know you guys do a great job and I, I, you know, like a lot of NFL people, I become obsessed with your site, um, especially, you know, this time of the year, but I, I you know, I, I, I'm sure if, if, well, I'm, I, I'm, I'm sure there is somebody that's tracking these things, but I'm sure if somebody tracked which sites I go to the most, don't make your porn jokes here, people. Uh, the sites I go to the most oh, over the cap is definitely way up there because uh, I'm always like, wait, why, what is this person making? What's the what's the implication of this Washington does whatever? So uh, invaluable tools that you have on, the, on that website. And I really, really appreciate it. Jason, uh, thanks so much. Uh, best of luck the rest of the offseason here. And uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, man. Anytime. All right. Wow. Busy day here over in uh, in my world, but a Big thanks to Greg Cosell from NFL Films, Jason Fitzgerald with Over the Cap. Um, I, I think that was, uh, hopefully you guys found all that interesting. I'm, I know you found the draft part interesting and hopefully the, the contract situations uh, as well. I think obviously, look, it's not as much fun to discuss how a team is going to work the cap as opposed to talking about what, who, what quarterback should they get. But it is important to consider moving forward as we wonder what kind of moves the Washington football team uh, makes. So uh, again, um, thanks to Greg and Jason for their time. Thanks to everybody here for listening to the podcast, for subscribing to the podcast. And again, if you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, you can do that. And uh, you, you can jump in on uh, before the before the deal ends, or you can get it for a dollar a month. Uh, hopefully you guys will do that. And uh, we'll go from there. Stay safe, be good. Have fun. More more content here coming up on the on the podcast before we get to the uh, draft, April 29th to May 1st. Excited for that. All right. I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> All right. That's it for now. Ben Stanek signing off. And until next time, see you.